all you have. You're now tuned in to the caucus race. So just sit back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, Star Wars fanatics. Hold on to your lightsabers because I, your host Kyle, am about to take you on the most epic auditory trip Star Wars audio archives. In the depths of space where the excitement knows no bounds, I am thrilled to have you aboard for this cosmic adventure like no other. Get ready to unleash your enthusiasm and let loose as we dive into the thrilling cosmos of Star Wars The Old Republic. But that's not all, my friends. We're cranking up the energy to hyperdrive level for this one. Brace yourself for a hair-raising escapade, brimming with heart-stopping action and exhilarating moments. Let's soar into Red Harvest together. Stepping out of the turbolift, Zoe felt her hope dwindling away. Escape was no longer an option, if it ever had been. The whippet had led her through the ruins of the academy, passing a few Sith students and masters who had stared openly at them. Their faces darkened with anger and determination. If the orchid registered any of this, it said nothing. It was mid-afternoon when they reached the tower. An HK droid had met them at the entryway. It confirmed Tolka's identity with a retinal scan that left the whippet blinking and wiping his eyes in annoyance and escorted them through. The turbolift had sucked them upward and dispensed them here, into this room. For a moment, Zoe could only stare at it. A laboratory like nothing she'd ever encountered in years of research sprawled out to fill the space in front of her. She could hear small things shifting and moving in the corners. It seemed in some horrible way to be an insidious, dark analog of the plant lab on Marfa. Its instruments designed not to foster life, but to inflict and sustain dosages of pain on whatever might still be alive here. There was something rustling in a cage in the shadows, making little smacking noises with its mouth. Do you have it? With an involuntary breath of surprise, Zoe turned and looked back. In the center of the lab, a tall man in a dark robe stood watching them. His face a chiseled amalgam of shadow and bone. The cheek structure cruelly sharp. The hollows of his eyes like the sockets of a skull. Zoe felt a thin wire of fear probe downward through her chest and into the pit of her stomach, where it dangled, twitching in the darkness. She thought of the name that Tolka had mentioned on their way here. Darth Scabrus. The Sith Lord was staring at her, his expression inscrutable. Although the raw intensity in his stare was unmistakable, it was as if he was looking at something that he wanted simultaneously to possess and to destroy. Without a word, the whippet took the orchid from Zoe's hand. He walked over to where the Sith Lord stood and held the flower out to him. This is it! Darth Scabrus took the flower giving it only the most cursory of glances before returning his attention to Zoe. There was a glimmer in his eyes that hadn't been there before. Talca stood waiting. My money, he said. If the Sith Lord heard him, he showed no sign. He was still staring at Zoe. Her name's Hestizo Trace, the Whippet said. 
She's the orchid's keeper. It needs her to survive, Scabras said. I know. That's how I knew you were bringing me the genuine article. He reached up and touched her face. His gloved hand cold against her cheek like leather wrapped around an iron rod. It was the one piece of information that I withheld about the orchid. Then our business here is finished, Tulka said. The Sith Lord nodded. My droid will pay you on the way out. The Whippet nodded and walked away. No, Zoe called out after him, watching him go. Wait! She felt a steel band of panic tighten around her chest, pressing painfully inward, crowding out her breath. She heard his footfalls growing quieter down the long stone corridor, then the faint hydraulic whoosh as the lift doors opened and shut again. Then he was gone. The Sith Lord was still looking at her. A new silence spread out, seeming to fill the lab with a stinging mist of cold, dry air. Zoe was aware, for the first time since they'd landed, of the orchid making anxious noises inside her mind, a soft, irregular click of nervous energy awakening to what might happen next. Although she knew she was the only one who could hear the sounds, she still felt an irrational impulse to hush it. You are a Jedi, Scapra said. I am. She braced herself for his contempt, even rage. But the Sith Lord simply nodded as if he'd expected nothing less than her appearance here. Had, in fact, anticipated it. He reached out with one hand, not quite touching her, and she felt a certain heaviness underneath her left breast, as if his palm were pushing directly against the muscle of her heart. Then he lowered his hand, and the pressure disappeared. He picked up the flower and carried it across the laboratory to the place where Zoe had heard the soft, lip-smacking noises. What she saw inside made her stomach do a slow, nauseated barrel roll. The teenage boy in the cage was staring up at her with bright, unblinking shoe-button eyes that bespoke nothing less than utter madness. On closer examination, Zoe saw a vine-like tangle of plastic tubes sprouting directly out from the young man's back, where they seemed to have been implanted into his spine and the base of his skull. Thick, yellowish-red fluid crept sluggishly back and forth through the tubing. Zoe followed the lines across the floor to where they connected to an electronic pump with a large glass cylinder on top. A ghastly kind of circuit had been created here, she realized. A hybrid between human and machine. Scabras made an adjustment to the pump. The fluid in the tubes moved faster. The boy went rigid and then began pounding his face against the cage over and over with a terrible kind of rhythmic intensity. The cage clanged with the crush of impact until the boy's face began to ooze blood trickling scarlet from his nostrils and lips and the corners of his eyes. Still, the boy did not stop. He was beating himself senseless, Zoe realized, trying to knock himself unconscious or perhaps simply to kill himself, ending whatever torment was yet to come. Stop! Zoe stared back at Scabrus. What is this? Watch and see. What are you doing to him? Scabrus didn't answer. 
later, he opened the top of the cylinder of reddish-yellow fluid and dropped the orchid inside. Jura Ostrogoth witnessed the whole thing. He'd slipped inside the tower when the whippet had stepped out, not giving himself time to deliberate. Experience had taught him that such opportunities ought not to be wasted, and so he had gone. Ever since Nictor's disappearance the previous day, the Academy's rumor mill had been humming along at light speed about Darth Scabrus and what might be going on up in his lab. Earlier this morning, Jura had overheard Pergus Frode, a technician at the Academy's hangar, telling one of the other masters that Scabrus had had visitors, two bounty hunters who hadn't returned to their ship last night. And now Kindra had told Jura that she'd seen two more off-worlders, a whippet and a girl, heading into the tower. They were carrying something with them, Kindra said. Nobody knew what. It was only a matter of time until someone came out. After lightsaber training, Jura had gone off by himself and crouched down underneath the snow-encrusted stones of a half-collapsed ruin facing the tower's main entrance. The cold hadn't bothered him in the least. It had given him time to think, to clear his head. He had already decided that he wasn't going to spend his life worrying about being exposed by Skopik. If he was going to escape from underneath Skopik's thumb, he needed to change the game. Of course, he couldn't counterattack now, having just cornered him. Skopik would be expecting retribution. But once Jura found out what was happening inside the tower, he decided he would arrange a private meeting with the Zabrak. He would tell Skopik everything, confide in him, gain his trust... And when Skopik was off guard, gloating, Jura would... What? Kill him? Maybe. Or perhaps just humiliate him, the way that Skopik had humiliated Jura. In any case, things were about to be very different. How different? Jura could never have guessed 20 minutes earlier as he had slipped out of the turbo lift and made his way across the open laboratory at the top of the tower. Candles and torches dotted the room with flickering intermittent light. He'd been worried that he might be heard. The lift was hardly silent. But even before the doors opened, he'd heard someone screaming and a metallic crashing noise. The sound bounced off the windows and stone ceiling, blocking out everything else. Jura slunk through pools of shadow, making his way between the clusters of equipment until he could make out the unmistakable shape of Lord Scabrus and someone else, a girl, standing next to what looked like a caged animal, the source of the crashing and the screaming. Jura stopped again, narrowed his eyes, looked more closely. The caged animal was Nictor. Nictor was thrashing in his little prison, shrieking and writhing and blubbering out noises that sounded only slightly like words. There was blood running down his face, sticking and clinging to his cheeks as if he'd been sitting under a melting red candle. He was half-naked, his exposed torso gleaming with sweat. But the worst, 
were the tubes. They ran directly out of his back, long, pipe-like conduits from his spine, leading to a machine with a large, transparent cylinder mounted on top. Scabrous was doing something to the machine, holding up some object that Jura couldn't identify, putting it inside the cylinder. The fluid inside it began broiling, changed color, became suddenly remarkably incandescent, pulsing through the tubes into Nictor's vertebrae. The screaming stopped. Jura watched Nictor collapse to the floor of the cage, motionless and silent, mouth half open, eyelids sagging. Now the only sound was the high, steady drone of a heart monitor in flatline. Jura let out the breath that he'd been holding in his lungs for the last ten seconds. He didn't need to get any closer to see that Wim Nictor was dead. Zoe stared at the dead Sith student in the cage. His eyes were still open, glassy and lifeless. His mouth sagged, a bloody spit bubble clinging to the corner. A waxy pallor had already begun to spread over his cheeks, turning his skin a pale shade of gray. In her mind, the orchid was still screaming. She couldn't move, couldn't think. Nothing in her experience at the Marfa facility or before had prepared her for this. In the past 48 standard hours, the routines of her daily existence had become a blood-soaked travesty of reality. Her eyes flashed up to the glass cylinder where Scabras had dropped the flower. It wasn't there anymore. The fluid seemed to have absorbed it, dissolving it in chunks. But she could still hear it. Wherever it had gone, whatever had happened to it, crying out, begging her to do something to help it to stop the pain. Burning. Zo, it's burning. It's burning. Scabrus was watching the cylinder. In the cage, the dead boy sat up. Jura never saw the door blow off the cage. It happened so quickly that the only thing his mind registered was the wire mesh flying across the lab, slamming into a vented power cell housing that protruded down from the ceiling. Metal struck metal with a flat, declarative clang that reminded him somehow of the sound of training blades clashing at the top of the temple. It was a noise that said, things have been put into motion and whatever happens next, there will be no going back. From his hiding place, Jura stared, crouched in the shadows as if welded to the spot. He saw Scabras and the girl staring at the cage, neither one of them moving. The thing that crawled out of the cage wasn't Wim Nictor. It was draped in Nictor's skin, yes, and it wore some version of Nictor's face. But the eyes were ovals of smeared glass behind which pupils darted back and forth in the torchlight like tiny black insects trapped inside a dirty bottle. It cranked its head to the right, and the yellow grin that wrinkled its lips back was unlike anything Jura had ever seen. Watching it, he felt himself melting inside, a breathless terror invading him, stripping away strength, reducing him to a shuddering pool of nerves. The intuitive voice of the Force was shouting at him now, Wrong, wrong, wrong. 
but he couldn't seem to move. The Sith Lord gazed upon his creation. A terrible, prescient smile crept across his face. Nicta, he said, come to me. The thing shuffled another step forward, and Scabrus held out one hand, beckoning it forth like an animal. Yes, that's right. All at once, Nictor sprang forward with an entirely different kind of urgency, the tubes ripping out of its back, flailing free, leaving a row of raw-looking opened wounds down its spine. Reddish, yellow stuff splashed and spewed from the open tubes, spraying out into the air. From his hiding place, Jura saw the Sith Lord rear backward, his arms in front of his face, as the thing that had once been Wim Nictor landed on top of him and without hesitation sank its teeth into Scabrus's face. Scabrus swung one arm upward and the thing flew back across the lab, its body reduced to a momentary blur, flailing into a tall rack of unused flasks and beakers not far from where Jura was still crouched. The rack exploded in a deafening cacophony of shattered glass, the thing tumbling over the floor, and Jura saw it push itself upright, its cheeks and forehead glittering with broken shards like dragon teeth. Astringent smells of alcohol and ammonia and carbolic acid filled the air. Jura saw the girl stand up and run for the turbo lift. She never looked back, not even as the door sealed shut behind her. A roar of fury shook the chamber around him loud enough that Jura felt it reverberating in the hollow of his chest. On the opposite side of the lab, Scabros rose up. The right half of his face hung down in a pale, bloody flap. Above it, his eyes coruscated with anger so ferocious that it looked like something entirely different, something dangerously close to madness. The Sith Lord flung out his right hand palm raised in the direction of Nictor's corpse. The corpse jerked back again, tumbling like a thing on wires, and this time Jura Ostrogoth realized that he was the one crouched directly in its path. The realization came too late to save him. Nictor's corpse collided with him, knocking him off his feet and pounding the air out of his lungs, hurling both of them backward into one of the wide, curved viewports that formed the tower's wall. Jorah's final impression, that the entire world was bursting apart around him in a brittle, deafening explosion, was not altogether wrong. Then he fell. Lusk? Rance Lusk stopped walking, paused a moment, and turned around. He had been on his way to the Academy's library for an afternoon of solitary meditation and study when the voice piped up behind him. It was Rat. The smaller, wiry-framed apprentice stood with both hands behind his back, gazing at him defiantly through the veil of falling snow. He looked radically different from the last time Lusk had seen him. Something changed in his posture, his bearing, the way he held his shoulders. Even his voice was bolder, more direct and confrontational. His eyes were polished stones, filled with a new and willful sense of determination. What do you want? You weren't at lightsaber practice this morning? Lusk didn't even bother to shrug, communicating his indifference solely through lack of expression. Everyone at the Academy knew that he only attended training sessions when he felt like it, when he wanted to test himself or prove a point to one of the Masters. 
he took a step closer to Ra'at. They were alone here behind the library's immense sprawl. The academy's masters and students otherwise engaged in training or the rigors of midday study. Above them, the tower stood, its shadow banded across the walkway like premature twilight. And it occurred to Lusk that this, too, might have been deliberate on Ra'at's part. Perhaps he had hoped Lord Scapris might happen to be looking down. Well, what is it? Ra'at brought his hands out from behind his back, revealing what Lusk had already guessed would be there. A pair of training lightsabers glinting in the gray afternoon light. Does Blademaster Shockwith know that you ran off with two of his toys? Lusk asked. Ra'at didn't smile. The intensity of his expression never wavered. I challenge you. Cocking an incredulous eyebrow, Lusk asked, Now? Now. For an instant, certainly no longer, Lusk almost considered it. Then he shook his head. You don't want to do that. What are you afraid of? From you? Lusk blinked lackadaisically. Boredom, for a start. Then I'll be sure not to bore you, Rat said, and tossed one of the blades in Lusk's direction. Lusk caught it on reflex, but lowered it to his side. I'm busy right now, he said. If you're determined to humiliate yourself, you'll have to do it publicly in front of the... Masters had been the last word of that sentence. But Lusk didn't get a chance to say it before Ra'at jumped at him, his feet hardly seeming to touch the ground. As opening salvos went, it was brutal but effective. A move whose grace would have been easier to admire if it hadn't ended with Ra'at's blade thwacking him across the chest, raising a hot streak of pain just below his collarbone. Lusk spun back, blade up, aware now that he was in this whether he wanted to be or not. And with Ra'at, he realized it wouldn't be as simple as flattening him. An example would need to be made, or else every student would be out here trying him. More than anything, Lusk felt a kind of exasperation. Hadn't Nictor been enough of a lesson? Was Ra'at suicidal or simply insane? He dived forward with his own blade, tense for impact. But Ra'at wasn't where he'd been just a second before, seeming almost to have vanished in a cloud of snow. Lusk looked up. The other apprentice was somersaulting directly over him, spiraling down. And Lusk's instincts flung him out of the way a split second before Ra'at landed. Your Ataru has improved, Lusk grunted. You've been practicing. Pivoting hard, he brought his own blade around where he predicted Ra'at would be, and this time he was right. When Ra'at looked up, he found himself facing the tip of Lusk's blade. One stroke would finish the duel. Two would kill him. But there was another option. Now, Lusk said, meeting the other apprentice's stare and letting the force flow through him like an electric current. Drop your blade. Rat held his mouth taut until the tendon stood out in his jaw. His arm quivered, but he didn't release the blade. Drop your blade, Lusk repeated. Still, Rat didn't move. Lusk felt real anger taking hold of him, the kind of rage he rarely experienced. 
Without hesitation, he thrust his own blade at his opponent. If Raat was so determined to die like this out here behind the library, then Lusk would oblige him. As he swung forward, he heard a window shatter overhead. Looking up, he saw something explode out of the top of the tower, momentarily arrayed in a glinting halo of broken glass. At first, Lusk thought it was some kind of alien species. It had too many arms and legs. Then he realized he was actually seeing two people, one wrapped around the other. The drop from the tower had to be a hundred meters or more. They fell together, twisting midair, plummeting downward, slamming into the rocky, snow-covered walkway with a sickening, meaty crunch. Despite his reputation for toughness, Lusk had to look away. Gravity had made a meal of the corpses, contorting them into unfamiliar shapes. Broken bones punctured the flesh. One of them, a shirtless, blood-smeared sack of leaking viscera, lay at such an angle that Lusk could see its right eye protruding from a socket. Then it sat up. Lusk gaped at it, paralyzed by a dozy wave of perfect awe. That's impossible, he thought. Nobody survives a fall like that. Nobody... His thought, whatever was left of it, broke off cleanly. The blood-smeared one was looking straight at him with its one good eye, a savage, inhuman smirk swimming over what remained of its face. Besides knocking the eye out, the fall had done something to its spine and shoulders, wrenched them around sideways, jamming the clavicles outward, shoving the bone of his arm up through the skin. It looked like a suit of flesh-colored clothes that had been recklessly draped on its hanger. Yet it was still moving. Its broken arms grabbed the other corpse, scooping it up in one flopping eager gesture and raked it toward its mouth. And that was when Lusk realized that behind the broken bones and layers of blood, he was looking at the mangled bodies of Wim Nictor and Jura Ostrogoth. The thing that had been Nictor bobbed its head and buried its teeth in the pulpy remains of Ostrogoth's face. Almost immediately, Lusk could hear the noises, a series of greedy, slobbering grunts. Ostrogoth, what was left of him, made no move to resist. What is that? Rat's voice was murmuring behind him. What is that thing? Lusk shook his head, stepping back. He had no idea what he'd just seen. This would all take time to process, to decide how he was going to fight it or use it to his own advantage. But for the moment, he'd take it on its own terms. You figure it out. Tossing his blade aside, Lusk turned on Raat and grabbed the smaller apprentice by the tunic with both hands, yanking him forward hard enough to snap Raat's teeth together like castanets. Raat's shock had left him vulnerable, an easy target. Rat's own blade slipped from his hand, clanking off rocks before it stuck in the new-fallen snow. Wait! What are you doing? Rat asked. You can't... Lusk spun him around and shoved him backward as hard as possible in the direction of the slobbering, eating thing that was crouched over Jura Ostrogoth. Rat squealed, arms pinwheeling as if something in the air could hold him up. Almost immediately, his feet tangled beneath him and he stumbled staggered, slid, and finally fell, landing first on his knees, then on his back. 
the nictor thing lifted its head. Fresh blood drizzled from its jaw, dripping off its lips. Its one functional eye shivered like a raw egg in a cup. It thrust Jura's corpse aside and devoted its full attention to Ra'at with the appetite of a creature being offered live meat. No, Ra'at was saying, scrambling upward or trying to. No! No! Lusk turned away, legs already tense to run. The last thing he heard the moment before he bolted into the library was Ra'at's scream. Oh my goodness, we just finished diving into the cosmic ways of part five of Red Harvest. And let me tell you, this story is mind-blowingly insane. I was totally hooked from start to finish, completely immersed in this epic adventure. The Star Wars universe is seriously out of this galaxy, and I can't even imagine what epicness lies ahead. All I know is I'm strapped in and ready for whatever comes next. But hold on, we've got something really cool to share, the quote of this episode. And this time, it is from the legend himself, Luke Skywalker. He once said, when things get crazy dark, hope becomes a shining light that guides our never giving up spirit, leading us from the depths to the triumph of victory. What Luke is telling us is that hope is like a super important thing when life gets tough. It's like the bright light that shows us the way when everything feels gloomy and impossible. You know those times when it feels like everything is going wrong and maybe it's easier just to give up? Well, hope is the force that keeps us going. It's like this little flame inside of us that makes us believe things can get better, even when everything seems stacked against us. Hope has the crazy power to ignite the fire of our inner strength. It is that initial flicker of belief that we can overcome any obstacles that come our way. It gives us the strength to keep going, to keep fighting for a better outcome. We need to hold on to the spark of hope, no matter how crazy things get. With hope as our guide, we can conquer anything and achieve our own intergalactic triumph. And I think that's all I have for today. I hope you've enjoyed this part as much as I did, and I hope you'll join me next time for more excitement and adventures in the Star Wars universe. Until then, may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pickfield Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by Swaycast Network. Star Wars Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.